Ten-year-old Tommy showed up late to Sunday school. That was unlike him. He was usually early. He was usually full of life, but he was a little sad as he showed up. And the teacher said, Tommy, what's wrong? What's going on? Why are you late today? Tommy said, well, I was going to go fishing. I wasn't going to come to Sunday school. But at the last minute, my dad made me come. She said, well, did your dad explain to you how important it was to be at Sunday school? And did he tell you why you couldn't go fishing? He said, yes, ma'am, he did. He told me we didn't have enough bait for both of us to go. So I don't know why you came today. I don't know if somebody made you come today or if, you know, you couldn't go fishing so you thought church would be second best. But I am glad that you're here. I'm glad that you showed up because we started a new series and we came last week and we, we've got this series called Wisdom for the Journey that we're going to go through this summer. And we're going to look into some of the wisdom literature in the Bible. If you look in the center of your Bible, there are five books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Those are called wisdom literature. They're mostly written in Old Testament poetry. Now, we talked a little bit about that poetry last week and what that is. But we're going to look at some of the passages there. Uh, we're going to do three messages out of the book of Psalms. Then we're going to look at each of those other books at the wisdom that comes out of those books and what the message of those books are. So as we go into today, you know, we're going to look at another one of the Psalms. As I was preparing this message, you know, I was thinking about last week's message, Blessed for the Journey. And I was thinking about how blessed we are to live in this part of the country. Whether you live in Bristol, Virginia or Bristol, Tennessee, you know, this is a great place to be. We are a large enough town, and especially if you count the whole Tri-Cities, that we have all the amenities of the big cities. But we are a small enough town that we don't have a lot of the trouble that the big cities. You know, we don't have the traffic, number one. Uh, we don't have overcrowding. We don't, uh, we don't have the looting and the rioting that some of our big cities have. And so this is just a really blessed place for us to live. 2020 was a tough year. And if you look at the rest of the country, you know, they suffered a lot worse than what we did. Now, I know there are individuals in our community that had a lot of suffering, that got the COVID, had sickness, lost jobs and things. But on the grand scale, it's not as bad here where we live as it is in other parts of our world. But you know, as, as we look at the world, and we think about our United States, richest country in the world. But look at how many people there are that are not happy. They're not satisfied. You, you, you think about our world. Our, our, we have more education. We have more technology. We have more wealth. We have more uh, medicine. We have more communication than we've ever had before in the history of the world. And yet so many people are not happy. They're disgruntled. They're always fussing about something. You watch TV... And man, it's just one bad news story after another. Then they usually close it off with one little story that makes you feel good. 
You know, I'd like to have a TV news channel that was all about the good news that happens. But you've got to wonder, with all the stuff that we have, why is so many people disgruntled? Why are they so, so down? And I think it's because all that stuff, that's not what's going to bring you joy. That's not what, in the long run, is going to bring you happiness. But as I thought about all that, and I began to think about our God, and I believe God is the answer, but if you look at all that mess that our world is in, it's got to make a lot of people ask a question. And that question is, why should we trust the Lord as we journey through life? You know, if God's going to allow all that stuff to happen, why should we trust Him? Well, if you're asking that question, it's really because you don't really understand who God is. You don't understand the whole uh, idea that God wants you to get. God never promised that on this earth we were going to have total peace. He created the earth in the beginning to be a peaceful place where people would worship Him and it would be wonderful. But sin came in the world through Adam and Eve and since that time there's been sin and it has grown and multiplied and it's causing this world to be broken. You know, God gives us free will and He allows us a choice that we can follow His way or we can go our own way or we can go somebody else's way. And when we do that, sin comes into the world and it's caused this world to suffer and have so many problems. But God wants you to know, if you will make Him your God, He's going to love you and He's going to be there for you and He will go th with you through whatever you face here on this earth. Now, I want you to think today as we begin our message about this wisdom literature that we're looking at. Remember, it's written in Old Testament poetry. It's not the rhyme that we have in our English poetry, but it's more based on figurative language and it's based on the relationship between the different lines of poetry to bring a message that we should get. Today we're going to go to one of the most famous psalms in the book of Psalms, and that's Psalm 23. Now, believe it or not, that psalm was not just written to read at a funeral service. It was written for a message, though many people use it at a funeral. But it was written to bring us a message. It's a beloved psalm. It's written by King David. He was the second king of Israel. He read Israel to the most prominence that it had ever been in. David was a shepherd boy who became the king of Israel. David was more than just a shepherd who became king. He was a musician. He played the harp. He also wrote many of these psalms, including Psalm 23. He wrote some 73 of the psalms and maybe more. There are 50 that don't have the author's name and maybe he even wrote some of those. David was also an outdoorsman. He was a rough and tough guy. He protected the sheep from lions and bears, the Scripture tells us. He was proficient with a slingshot, not the kind that have the V with the rubber bands, but the kind that you sling around made out of a piece of leather with two straps, and you sling it, and you let one of the straps go, and the rock flies out. He even killed one of Israel's enemies when he was a young boy, Goliath. We don't have time to get into that story, but he protected Israel uh, as a young boy 
And that's where he earned a name as being a great warrior. Then he became king eventually, and he led Israel to the most prominence that it had ever known or has ever known since his time. David wrote this Psalm 23. Now, we could say that David is defined by being the shepherd who becomes king. But that's not how God defined David. In fact, God said about David, he is a man who is after my own heart. And the Apostle Paul said of David in Acts chapter 13, David served God's purpose in his own generation. David was a man of God first and foremost. Despite the fact that he made many mistakes in life and committed some sins, but he was always repentant and turned to God. Let's begin today by reading Psalm 23, and we'll look at the first stanza. There are two stanzas in this psalm. We'll read the first four verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The beautiful words of Psalm 23. I want you to think about something here today. David's telling us that God is like a good shepherd who provides for and protects his sheep. You know, God is often called a shepherd in the Old Testament. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, He, God, tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Again, it's figurative language. It's trying to help us see the kind of God that this is that David's telling us about who is like a shepherd. You know, shepherds were well respected, though it was a common job it was a dirty job but shepherds were respected because they were known for their commitment to their sheep they were known for being loyal to their sheep and caring for them and providing for the sheep what they needed and the shepherds even knew each of their sheep some shepherds even named every one of their sheep and could distinguish one sheep from another they would guide their sheep and take them to the right pasture. They would make sure they had water. Uh, they would care for them if they got injured. They would protect them from predators. Shepherds were just really good people at looking out for their sheep. Now, it's interesting that God's Word often refers to God's people as being like sheep. That's a metaphor. But the interesting thing is sheep, sheep are not very smart animals. And they are prone to wonder and to get in trouble. Maybe that's why God referred to us as sheep. But a good thing about sheep is that sheep would only listen to the voice of their shepherd. They learned from a very early age that name. In fact, a lot of times, shepherds would bring their sheep to the pen at night and they would put several flocks in one pen. And in the morning... The shepherd would come out. first shepherd would call his sheep, and only his sheep would come out. Then the second shepherd would come out. Only his sheep would come, and so forth. They've even done tests. They would have uh, 
somebody dress and look just like the shepherd and call to the sheep and use the same language, the sheep wouldn't come. They won't only respond to the voice of their shepherd that they know. Maybe that's why in John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. But I want you to see something else about this text. David's trying to show us that God is this good shepherd. But notice the first two words there, the Lord. If you notice, in, if you have an NIV Bible, and some other translations do this, the word LORD is in all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Whenever you see that in your Bible, it means it's translating the word Yahweh. That is the name of God. When Moses said to him in Exodus 3, Who should I say sent me when I go bring your people out of Egypt? God said, Tell them Yahweh. That's Hebrew for I am, I be. It's the simplest verb form uh, in the English language. God was trying to say, I just exist. Tell them that's my name, I be, I am. And so that's the word that David uses. He uses God's personal name here as he talks about God being the shepherd. Now, when you see the word in your English version of the Bible with a capital L and a small O-R-D, it's translating the Hebrew word Adonai. That means master. And then when you see just the word God, capital G-O-D, it's using the Hebrew word Elohim, which means power. But when you see that word Lord, it's translating the Hebrew, the personal name for God. David says, with the Lord as my shepherd, my personal shepherd, I don't want for anything. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to be made rich, but it means he will provide. He will make sure that you have the personal needs, the, the necessary means. Look at what he says as we go through this. Verse 2, makes you lie down in green pastures. That means you got ample food. Uh, makes you lie down. That means you're at peace. You're content. You don't have to worry. You feel protected and safe. He leads me beside quiet waters. You know, sheep were really skittish. And they didn't like to drink out of rushing streams or where there were rapids. It scared them. So the shepherd would make sure they had still waters where they could lead the sheep to and they could drink in comfort. Uh, he refreshes my soul, verse 3 says. That has to do with the fact that God takes care of not just physical needs, but He comforts us. He takes care of our souls, our, our spiritual need as well. You know, our world is so hectic that so many people in our world today just don't even have time for God, so they say, or they don't make time for God. But in Him, that's where you're going to find the real comfort in life. That's where you're going to find the real satisfaction of living in this world. So I would encourage you to take time to let God comfort you each day. Take time to spend with Him and pray to Him and read His Word and let Him bring comfort into your life. That leads to the next part, which it says, He guides us in paths of righteousness. You know, the, the shepherd would guide the sheep. He would lead them to find the... The, uh, the waters sometimes 
You know, you had to go through uh, uh, traveling around to different places. But the shepherd would always provide the place to go to get the green pastures and the water. You know, we, we live in a world where so many people want to claim God, especially when they need something. Or they want to claim God as their Lord and Savior when it's time to die. You know, oh yeah, I, I believe in God. But in the good times, many times, many people don't even think about God. Only when they need something. And a lot of times, you know, people who claim to be God's people uh, go through this life and you really can't tell them apart from the pagan people of this world. You know, as God's people, we are the church. That's God's flock today is His church. And His people who claim to be part of His church should be different than the rest of the world. In fact, the word in the Greek language for church is ekklesia. It means those called out of the world. We're called to be different. We're called to live a life that follows the path that God wants us to be on. But so often we don't. So often there is immorality among God's people as much as there is the pagan world. There is sexual immorality rampant in our culture and even some churches are inviting it in and overlooking it where sex outside of marriage is just accepted today and homosexuality is more and more becoming accepted yet God's word tells us and warns us against those things that that's not going to lead us down the path that God wants us to go there's greed among God's people and so often God's people they only think about themselves and what God can do for them. When God calls us to love our neighbor, when's the last time you passed on some love to your neighbor? And God's Word tells us to be concerned about the poor. When's the last time we really help the poor? You see, you notice it says He guides us for His name's sake. The reason why God puts you on a good path is because He wants people to say, look at this good God, how He leads His people down the right path. And as we follow His path, we also are giving God a good name. But when we stray from that path and we claim to be God's people, we don't give God a good name. In fact, we give God a bad name. But with God leading, we can be confident that we're going down the right path, that we're going in the right direction. It also says in verse 4, let's just read that again, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, a shepherd would have to sometimes, to find green pastures and still waters, he would sometimes have to leave sheep through valleys and up mountains and down mountains. And sometimes it was dangerous on the paths he had to take them to get there. Sometimes they would, uh, you know, they would be in danger. And yet, David is telling us, with the good shepherd leading you, you don't have to worry. You don't have to feel the danger. You can find comfort as you go where God leads you. That rod and staff that it talks about, the rod was a stick about three or four feet long. It was a club that the shepherd used to beat away predator animals that might try to come and steal some of the sheep. 
the staff, it was for the sheep. It was when maybe they're getting ready to fall off the edge of a cliff and he would hook them around the neck and he would pull them back to safety. Or if they were prone to wander, he would reach out with that staff and pull them back and, and bring them back into the fold of the flock. God cares about his people and he will help them and guide them if they will follow his way. Um, Barry Zito was a, uh, a star baseball player, made the all-star team three times in his career. Uh, but in 2010, he started to have trouble. He had a bad year. He was taken off of the team and sent back to the minor leagues for a little while. The next year he came back, but he was plagued with injuries and, and didn't win very many games. And in uh, 2011, he got injured. And as he was walking off the field, he could sense that God was trying to send him a message. He said, God's trying to teach me something here. I don't know what it is, but God got his attention. That year, he gave his life to Jesus Christ and committed to him. 2012, he came back and he helped the San Francisco Giants, who he played for, win the World Series, and he won his last 14 ball games that year. So he made it back. But he said during that time, that bad time, he had a talk with his best friend. And his best friend says, you know, God is like a shepherd. And I've been told that shepherds will go after a sheep that wanders away. And this one shepherd had this sheep, and I understand this is a common thing, and the sheep would keep wandering off. And the shepherd would have to go get him over and over again. And the sheep wouldn't learn. So finally, the shepherd takes his club, and I understand shepherds do this, and broke that sheep's leg. Now, that sheep couldn't walk, so the shepherd had to carry it. But the shepherd carried it everywhere he went, made sure it had food, made sure it had water, and that sheep learned to trust the shepherd because he had to depend totally on that shepherd for his care. Maybe God is sometimes like that. That's what his friend told Zito. And Zito said, I learned the lesson that I look to God to trust Him totally in whatever I face in this life. And maybe sometimes God uses the things that happen in our life to teach us to turn back to Him because He's the one that's there to give us the care. I hope you get the picture of God as being this, this good shepherd that we have. But there's more. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is also like a good king who lavishes love on and accepts the lo his loyal people. Now the text doesn't specifically say God is a king here. But it is the imagery, it is the picture of a royal banquet that a king has prepared for some of his people. And this king is just there to pour out blessing on his people. It says the table is prepared for his people. Even in the presence of my enemies, you know, in the presence of the palace, you could be secure 
while your enemies were off and, and the troops were off fighting the battles, you were secure, surrounded by walls, and inside the king's palace, you were protected. And so, but as Christian people, we don't have to worry so much about physical enemies as we do about spiritual enemies. In fact, in Ephesians 6:12, it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. With God as our king protecting us, we can enjoy a peace like being at a table prepared for a king's banquet. We can enjoy that. It says he anoints my head with oil. You know, when the king invited you to the palace, he would immediately anoint you with this oil that was made of fragrance and olive oil, and it would be a sign of his acceptance of you. It says my cup overflows. The king's servants would make sure your cup was full and your plate had plenty of food the whole time you were at the banquet. You see what David is doing? He's trying to portray, portray, portray an image of God as being this king that lavishes his love on his people. Look at verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, to dwell in the house of the Lord, that doesn't mean to live under the Lord's roof. In that day, to be part of the house of the king was to be part of his household. It was to be made part of his family. It included not just his relatives, but his servants and all of his loyal people that were prominent figures in his kingdom. The, the house is the household, and it's the family of the king that David is saying we can belong to. And his goodness and love will surround us as we make him our king. You know the thing about God? I read a story this week. There's a wonderful story about a guy that was applying for a job at a bank in Chicago. He was from Boston. And he was from a, a long line of Bostonians. And so this young man from Boston had given a reference to the bank and they sent a letter to check the reference. And the person in Boston sent them a letter back. And here's what he said. I can't say enough about this young man. His father was a Cabot. His mother was from the Lowell family. Further back, he was a happy blend of Saltoni, Salton Stalls and Peabody's and other of Boston's finest families. I recommend him without hesitation, the letter wrote. Well, the president of the bank got that letter, read it. He sent a letter back to the person and said that the information he supplied was altogether inadequate. We are not contemplating using this young man for breeding purposes. We just want him to work. You know what the scripture says? God doesn't care what your pedigree is. In, in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, God says he accepts those from every family and nation and race who fear him and work for his kingdom. God wants you to be part of his family. 
and part of his kingdom. God is a shepherd who provides and protects. God is like a king who loves and accepts you and wants you to be part of his family. Here's our connection. As we travel the journey of life, the psalmist shows us that we can confidently put our trust in the Lord. You know, David understood that. He understood shepherds and kings because he was both in his lifetime. He uses these metaphors to show us the goodness of God. One more thing about this Psalm 23. You notice J David uses personal pronouns. The Lord, he says, is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's because David can't speak for anybody else. He's just saying, I have made him my shepherd and my king. But you know what? You can too. And if you do, you will find the same thing that David did, that God is there for you to provide and protect. There's God is there to lead you and guide you, and he will accept you as part of your family. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. God demonstrated how much He cared for you when He took His own Son and He sent Him to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Because the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, the fact that he did that does not mean that he wants us to sin or that it's permission to sin or that he wants us to enjoy our sin. No, it shows us how bad our sin is. But he was willing to do that because he wants to draw you back in to a holy relationship with him where he will be your shepherd and your king. David gives us wisdom for the journey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for David and a man after your own heart who was not perfect by any means, but he sought you out. And when he did mess up, he turned to you and cried out for forgiveness and was repentant in his heart. But Lord, he also worked in every way he could to serve you and to be a loyal person in your kingdom. I pray that you will help us to get the picture that David is trying to paint for us, that we too might be your loyal people as we go about this life. And we make you our shepherd and our king. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.